Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back again with all of our listeners. Great to have this opportunity to get back into God's Word, study a little bit more, learn a little bit more, and have this opportunity to reflect a little bit more upon our personal spiritual lives. We need to always examine ourselves, as the Scriptures encourage us to do over and over again, examine ourselves to see if we are where we ought to be spiritually, if we are what we ought to be in the eyes of God. God created us, when you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, he created us in his image. And as such, he he created us unique from everything else that he created. Nothing else was created in God's image. Now, God was the creator, but he did not create everything else or anything else in his own image. And so he says that, and that is really put in there two or three times in those verses, let us create man in our own image, after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image. And then he created man such that he would have dominion over everything else that God created in this world. But now think about what it means to be created in the image of God. It does not mean that we look like God physically because we are flesh. We are finite. We're physical. We have physical bodies. God is spirit. And so it doesn't mean that we look like God in appearance physically. But rather, I believe we're to understand that it means that God created us as moral beings with the ability to understand right from wrong and good from evil righteousness from unrighteousness. We can understand the very concept of sin just as we can understand the very principle of love because God created us in his own image. You see, we can look around us, we can treat animals, pets really well, but they don't really understand what love means. Uh, We're hard-pressed, even as human beings, to put it into words, to describe it in a way that is full (laughs) and fully, you know, informative, because how do you describe love? But we know what it is. We know when we're experiencing it. We cherish love. Where does that come from? From God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves us. And the scriptures tell us that we love him because he loved us. We understand what love is because of God. We understand then what goodness is because God is absolutely, totally good. There is no evil in him whatsoever. And because we understand what goodness is, then we can recognize evil as well. So the whole concept of sin, disobedience to God, that makes us unique, or that's part of our uniqueness among all that God has created. And God created us with a soul that will live on. Now, he wants us to be with him in heaven forever. And so he has sent his son to this earth to go to that cross, to die as the one time for all time uh, perfect sacrifice to pay the price for the guilt of our sins 
so that we could be forgiven and redeemed, so that we could be brought back into a right relationship with God, so that we could have eternal life with him in heaven. As we repent of our sins and confess our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior and God's Son and surrender to him in the waters of baptism, being buried with him, immersed in that water, being baptized into him for the remission of our sins and raised up from that watery grave of baptism, reborn, made new, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, given a new start on life and then have the promise, the hope, the expectation of eternal life with him in heaven after this life and this earth is over. How blessed we are. How blessed we are to have a God who loves us so and created us in his image and has made the way for us to be with him forever and ever. At the end of this program, we're going to tell you how you can contact us and We want to encourage you, have a pencil or a pen, a piece of paper ready, jot down that information, and then contact us. Ask for the free Bible study that we always offer, and when we say free, we mean free. We'll even take care of the postage. And we're not going to hound you for any money either. That's not how we operate. We don't believe that's what we ought to be doing. We want to send you the Bible study materials free, and again, we'll take care of the postage. You can also receive a copy of today's program on CD for free. And again, we'll take care of the postage. Now that study that we'll send to you will help you see right from God's word how you can be reborn, how you can be forgiven, how you can have eternal life. So have that pencil or pen and piece of paper ready. In just a little bit, we'll tell you how to contact us. We're going to finish up our study that we've been looking at over the last last several programs, asking the question, well, making the statement first, life is short, and then asking the question, are you ready for what comes next? We have been emphasizing throughout this study to this point how the scriptures tell us repeatedly over and over and over and over again that life truly is short on this earth short. We've seen verse, well, text after text. We've seen how in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19 that God told the man and the woman that after they had sinned because of their sin, they were going to die physically. That became a reality. Death became a reality from that day forward. We saw how God limited the lifespan of mankind after a period of time to 120 years, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. And then after another period of time, we read in Psalm 90 and verse 10 that he further limited physical life on this earth to 70 to 80 years, generally speaking. And while some people will say, well, I, now I've known a lot of people who have lived past 80, you've also known a lot of people who didn't make it to 70, haven't you? A whole lot of people. People die at all ages. And so we're talking about, generally speaking, that is our lifespan on this earth, somewhere 70 to 80 years old, right around those those time limits. And then we read over and over again, in very descriptive language, how the scriptures repeatedly emphasize that life is short. 
short, swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Life is like a breath. Our days are like a shadow. Our days are few. Our life comes forth like a flower and fades away, flees like a shadow, like a shadow that lengthens and I wither away like grass. Like grass as a flower of the field, the wind passes over it and it's gone. Its place remembers it no more. Man is like a breath. The days are like a passing shadow. You see, over and over and over again, James in James chapter 4 and verse 14 describes life as like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And Peter talks about it as being like a flower that falls away. Well, flowers bloom, they come to life, and then within a fairly short period of time, they fade away and then they die. So, the scriptures repeatedly emphasize life is short. So the question naturally ought to be for each one of us, am I ready for this life to end? Am I ready for what comes next? Because you see, when we die physically, we're unique again. We're created in God's image. We have a soul, a spirit. We're not like old Rover who when he dies, he's dead all over. <laughs> no, no. We're going to face eternity. God made us that way. Are you ready for what comes next? We all need to examine ourselves because what comes next for those who are ready will be wonderful, a wonderful, glorious transition from this physical life with all of its rigors, all of its difficulties, the sickness, the pain, the sorrows, the suffering, all of that into an eternal life with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit in heaven where there is no sorrow, and there are no tears, there is no sickness, there is no dying. But for those who are not ready, that transition will be absolutely horrible and should be unthinkable to any of us because we're talking about eternal torments everlasting condemnation in hell with the devil and his angels. We will all, once we die, or if the Lord comes first, we will all, every one of us, face judgment. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, the Hebrews writer says, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. You know, there are a lot of people out there, they're gambling that they're going to be like old Rover, that dog, or that cat, or a cow in the field, or a horse on the track, or like a rose that blooms and then dies. 
they're, they're, they're gambling that there will be nothing after this physical life is over. They're gambling their souls on that, that this is it. There's nothing else. But that's not what the scriptures tell us. The scriptures tell us and encourage us on an ongoing basis that eternity follows. And what God has waiting for us, if we will follow him faithfully and obediently in this physical life, he has, oh, a whole new body waiting for us. We'll be transformed, the Apostle Paul goes into detail talking about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be given a new body, and again, we'll have eternal life with God in heaven, a place of bliss and happiness and glory and beauty. But we're going to die. Hebrews 9.27 says again, we're going to die. It's appointed that mankind will die, and then after this comes the judgment. When the Apostle Paul was teaching in Acts chapter 17, he was in the city of Athens, and that was a, a place that, that was really supposed to be an intellectual center of the world. People would come there to learn about new ideas and thoughts and new things, but most of the people there, almost all of them, did not even believe in God. They believed in idols. They worshipped idols, images, statues, carvings. And in that sense, they were very backward, unsophisticated, ignorant. But Paul addresses them. And he respects them for their knowledge of things in this world. But at the same time, he educates them as to eternal things as to spiritual matters. And then he comes toward his, his conclusion in verse 31 of Acts chapter 17. And he says, because he has appointed the day, well, let me go back to verse 30. He says, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day he has appointed a day, it's appointed, on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Well, obviously that man being described in that verse is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior. And so Paul is saying, there's going to come a time when we must all stand before his judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, it is put exactly that way. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad, the Apostle Paul wrote. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. Now that's a reality, just as much a reality as is death a reality in this physical life. We're born, we're going to die. Life is short. We've already seen that emphasized, described over and over and over again in very vivid language. Now, 
What comes next? Judgment. We will face our Lord and Savior as the eternal judge. Are you ready for what comes next? In Acts chapter 10, if we go back there, Acts chapter 10, we look at verse 42. And Peter is teaching a household at that particular time, the house of Cornelius. And he says in verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Judge of the living and the dead. When the Lord comes again, there's going to be a lot of people still living on this earth. They will have to stand before him in judgment. But you know, death is not an escape from a sinful life because the dead will stand before Jesus also. See, we're talking about spiritual matters here. We're talking about God and we're talking about eternity. It's not like life in this world and the reality that we see physically all around us. And so even the dead will stand before Jesus because he will be the judge of the living and the dead. We come back to the book of Hebrews. We look at chapter 4 and verse 13. And here it tells us there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Oh yes, we will give account to Jesus, the one who went to that cross and died for us, died as the Savior to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. That's what comes next after our life in this world is over. That's what comes next, standing before Jesus in judgment. You know what? There won't be any atheists on that day. Oh, there are people who, in a very arrogant and also in a very dogmatic way, state their disbelief in God. And they may even say things that are insulting to God and insulting to anybody who would believe in God. But they won't be atheists on that day. They will believe in God. There won't be any agnostics on that day. There won't be any skeptics on that day. And I would suggest to you that there won't be any arrogant people about how they have lived their lives in self-defiance to God's will. Oh, they may say, I'm going to do what I want to do and whatever happens, happens. I don't think there will be anybody on that day facing the condemnation of hell who will have that kind of an arrogant attitude. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In Luke chapter 12 and verses 16 through 21, we find the, the story of a man who was a farmer. He was a <clears throat> farmer who was wealthy. He had a bumper crop one year and he had such a harvest coming in that he did not have room to store everything. His barns were not big enough. And so he was faced with a real challenge. 
And so he ultimately concluded that he would simply tear down his barns and build bigger barns. He thought at that point that he would be pretty much self-secure, at least for a long period of time. And so he determined that after he tore down his old barns and built bigger barns and stored away all of the produce, all of the harvest, that he would be so secure that he would tell himself, he would, I will say to my soul, verse 19, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Aren't there a lot of people like that today? Oh, they've got big 401ks. They've got big annuities. They've got a lot of money put away. They've got tremendous investments. They've got huge real estate holdings. They've got a lot of cash in the bank. They may have millions or millions upon millions of dollars, or they may have billions. I just heard about a family that is worth about $14 billion. That's hard to even imagine. But you know what? That's not going to save them. The text goes on in Luke chapter 12, and in verse 20, after the rich farmer, the self-secure farmer in his own mind, had said, Soul, take your ease, because you have many goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be that you have provided? All of that stuff that you have gathered, all of that wealth that you took security in, it won't be yours anymore. Because God said, tonight you're going to die. You see, life is short. And for that wealthy farmer, it became very short all of a sudden. The indication seems to be he was not ready for what came next. Life is short, my friend. Are you ready for what comes next? In just a moment, we'll give you the information by which you can contact us. Write that down and then contact us. Ask for that free Bible study. It will help you learn how you can be ready every day of your life. We want to hear from you right away.